Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we discuss cancel culture and the rights of the accused. So welcome back to fucking canceled. Welcome back to fucking canceled. So we're going to do announcements. We're going to remember to do announcements. Go for it. Um, so I have a bunch of announcements today, actually, to share with you all. Tell us, Clementine. Um, the first is that we've been being much more active on the Patreon, we're proud to say. We have a Patreon, just patreon.com slash fucking cancelled. And currently, I think we have, like, five or six weeks of content queued. So, if you are a patron, you can be expecting a lot of updates from us. I won't reveal too much about what it will be, but... There's writing, and there's some cool stuff coming up on the Patreon. Um, also, today's episode is based off of an article that Jay posted on the Patreon a few days ago, which was called what? I think it was just called The Rights of the Accused. Yeah. So if you are interested in what we're talking about today on the pod and you want to go read an article about it that kind of summarizes what we were talking about on the pod... You can check out patreon.com slash fucking canceled. Thank you to the patrons for supporting our work. It means a lot to us. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, and we mentioned this in the last episode, but I thought it was worth mentioning again briefly that our two zines, um, Refusing Accountability and Surviving Cancellation, which are based on transcripts of old episodes of the pod and have been edited and have some... Um, charts and diagrams and things in there have um, they exist in paper form already and we recently turned them into digital zines so you can order them digitally as well which you can get those at fuckingcancel.bigcartel.com and then finally I have three um, upcoming events to talk about which is pretty exciting Mm -hmm. so on September 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, um, we're going to be doing an online event that is called The Stoa, and you can find out more about it at thestoa.ca, but basically Jay and I are going to be doing a short talk called The Left After Cancel Culture, and it's going to be followed by a Q&A, and this event is open to the public, so if people are interested in going and you want to you wanna get on Zoom and, and uh, be a part of the event... You can register for that and find the link to it at thestoa.ca, and we will also put that in the show notes. Secondly, Jay and I are going to the UK in October, and we're going to be doing two events while we're there, so if there's any listeners in the UK, um, I'm going to give you some info about the events, and there will be more info coming, but basically on October 18th in Brighton, um, we are going to be doing basically like a cancel culture 101 workshop slash community discussion, which is going to be happening at the Cowley Club. And currently there isn't like a uh, any information about it online. 
but as soon as that becomes available, we'll let you guys know. Yeah. Um, but just if you are in Brighton or close by, you can save the date in your calendar. It's October 18th, 7 p.m. And then in London on October 26th, we are going to be doing a different kind of event. It's called Fucking Cancelled Fest. And it's going to be me and Jay doing some readings, um, joined by some bands doing live music. Mm-hmm. So that one, you can buy tickets online um, ahead of time, and the, the link to do that is already live and up, so you can buy tickets online, and we will put the link to do that in the show notes. Yeah. So lots of cool things happening. Very cool. I have one last announcement, which is that our dog, Clover, is really annoyed with us because we haven't played with her very much today. I mean, we took her for a long walk by the ocean and threw a true. stick. But she's annoyed anyway, so she's, like, wandering around, like... Yeah, if you hear a slight background noise of, like, little nails clicking away, that's Clover. <laughs> She's, like, being annoying. <laughs> um, and there's really nothing we can do about it, so. You're just going to have to live with that. And then, I guess, one more slight announcement, uh-huh. which is that you have a new article up on jlasalle.com. Yeah. Um, do you want to say something about the article? The most recent one? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's called Calling Things Fascist Doesn't Make Them Fascist. Um, and it's just about how calling things fascist doesn't make them fascist and how fascism actually has a meaning and it's really unhelpful um, when people just use it to describe anybody they don't like. Um, but also I go into a little bit of detail about why I think um, that gets used so much by people in the Nexus who are trying to um, grapple with ideas that they don't understand or don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some reasons for that. So, yeah, you can check that out yeah. on my website, jlesoleil.com. Yeah, it's a good article. You should check it out. So before we get into um, the bulk of this episode, we just wanted to bring up a sort of... Some... We wanted to just talk about something in the news. Yeah, something that's happening currently in the news. Because nobody can stop us. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. Yeah, it's our podcast. It's our podcast. <laughs> um... Yeah, and I don't know, uh, it was just like, it's just like an interesting thing that that occurred that like we, I don't know, it it wasn't particularly spectacular or particularly crazy or anything like that, but I think it was just kind of like really emblematic of a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Yeah. Um, This time it sort of has to do with like academic freedom and, you know, the freedom to sort of like talk about ideas openly. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I'll just get into it. Basically there was a, well, there is a historian named James A. Sweet, um, who's the president of, like, the American, like, Historian Association, I think is what they're Mm -hmm. called, like, the major sort of association of historians in the U.S., and he wrote an article recently, um, it's like an editorial, you know, um, and his article was about, um, what's called presentism, so presentism is, um, it's the tendency, it's two things, it's, like, the tendency to study, like, only mostly, like, recent history and really to focus on the recent past, plus um, a tendency to interpret the past through the lens of the present. And he was arguing that that tendency is increasing recently. Um, And he argues that the whole discipline of history has moved in that direction. It's making it so that basically um, you have to study everything through the lens of modern social justice issues, like, and particularly, like, identitarian uh, lenses. And in particular, like, an American-centric... Yes, very much so, Yeah. yeah. Um, in order to have your work be taken up or taken seriously. And, I mean, another problem with all of this is that history, he argues, becomes just kind of like a grab bag of anecdotes that political actors in the present, both on the right and the left, can use to justify their ideas. They just kind of cherry-pick random Uh examples, and they're like, look, like, 
this thing used to happen and therefore this says something about what I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he also says, you know, that the, the influence of ideas that are currently in vogue in the present um, can hugely distort the ways that we discuss the past even outside of the discipline of history. So he's an expert on African history and he gives the example of tourism in West Africa. So in West Africa, there's all these like tourist sites that you can go to that center on the slave trade. So, you know, these like castles, like these like Portuguese castles that people were, were traded out of during um, the, the, the transatlantic slave trade. And he says that um, they often end up catering to what African-American tourists want to hear um, rather than presenting accurate pictures of the past because there's like a, an economic incentive to do that. Right. They, like these people need African-American money. African-Americans have access to a lot more money than people in like Ghana or whatever. Um, and so the people running these tours, the tour guides and so on, like basically say what African-Americans want to hear. Right. Which is, you know, things like your ancestors like might have come from right here, you know. And it's like in reality he says, you know, their ancestors were probably like enslaved by the people from right there and, you know, brought there from further inland and so on. Not that that's really the point of the article, but he's just pointing out that um, sort of accurate understandings of of history can be really distorted by the expediencies of the present. Um, He also brings up the 1619 Project, which is, I mean, a lot of our listeners have probably heard about it, but it's, uh, it's this kind of like journalistic, like, Project, I guess it's kind of like a book um, or like a series of articles, um, mostly written by journalists and like sort of political pundits. Some of the articles I think were written by historians um, that basically tries to present like a, a history of the United States from a very sort of like uh, black identitarian um, perspective. And, you know, a lot of historians have pointed out that it's extremely inaccurate in a lot of places, um, which, you know, can be fine if it's journalism, right? Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, extremely uh, extremely historically accurate if the point is to sort of make a more, like, emotional point or to, you know, bring up, like, a, a sort of more, like, artistic or poetic understanding of how the past has unrolled. Um, but from a historian's point of view, obviously, there are, like, some issues with that. Right. Um, and so he talks about that. He finishes by arguing that history, like doing history with integrity, actually this is a quote, doing history with integrity requires us to interpret elements of the past, not through the optics of the present, but within the worlds of our historical actors. When we foreshorten or shape history to justify rather than inform contemporary political positions, we not only undermine the discipline, but threaten its very integrity. So basically, that was his article. It was, in in my mind anyway, very like reasonable, judicious, uh, well thought out, you know, not extreme at all. Um, pointing out that both the left and the right and, you know, actors from all over the political spectrum, like, have this tendency to engage with history this way. Um, but because it very lightly um, poked at identitarianism, uh-huh. um, it became subject to the extreme anger of, like, a Twitter mob. Yeah. Like, really rapidly. Unsurprisingly. Unsurprisingly. Um, and really rapidly. I mean, I think it surprised him probably, but... Uh, didn't surprise us. <laughs> didn't surprise us. And one of the, yeah, just something that was kind of remarkable about this is that literally two days later, this guy was forced to apologize, right? I mean, he probably wouldn't say that he was forced, but it's pretty evident that he was. And so he gave this kind of like boilerplate um, apology where he's like, you know, I sincerely regret the way I've alienated in my clumsy efforts. I left the impression, blah, blah, blah. 
you know, uh, once again, I apologize for the damage I've caused the dis um, to my fellow historians. Um, I hope to redeem myself in future conversations. And then he's like, I'm listening and learning. Yeah, classic. Um, classic, yeah. As if, you know, this, like, highly decorated historian who's, like, literally an expert on African history um, has to sort of, like, learn from, like, random people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, it's... It's extremely annoying, and it's not that, like, you know, you can never learn from someone who's not an expert, but it's, like, this guy is writing about ideas in his discipline of which on which he's an expert. He's writing about them in, like, a totally, like, neutral and very calm, level-headed way, uh -huh. um, and he is nevertheless being forced to apologize over fucking nothing. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, and I guess we just wanted to kind of talk about this super briefly, just kind of bring it up and bring it to people's attention, like, not because we want people to start, you know, frothing at the mouth about it or, you know, start a, a reverse Twitter mob or anything like that, um, or because we think it's particularly, yeah, like we said, like, particularly spectacular or anything like that, but really just because it's, like, this kind of shit is, like, why we can't have nice things, it's, like, why we can't discuss ideas, mm -hmm. Um, in a lot of places, increasingly, like, th throughout academia, you know? This is, like, at the highest level of the the discipline of history in the yeah. United States that this is taking place, right? Totally. This is, like, one of the most powerful people in that discipline. Absolutely. Um, who is being forced to sort of, like, grovel for critiquing presentism. Yeah. Yeah, when Jay was telling me about this, Jay found the the article about it and then and then was reading it and telling me about it. I wanted to talk about it on the podcast because... Basically, like, we've gotten to a point where, like, a, like, respectful, um, like, scholarly article, you mm -hmm. know, with accurate historical facts that is discussing, like, a trend within the discipline of history that the author sees as, like, undermining what the discipline of history is trying to do, mm -hmm. you know, is responded to with basically, like, hysteria on the internet to such a degree that this like scholar had to apologize for literally doing his job like his job is to think critically about these things and his job is to care about the the integrity of the discipline of history right and like history is supposed to be about um the past <laughs> You know, it's supposed to be about understanding the past and and trying to make sense of it. And so I think that him being concerned that the the politics of the day, like diluting our capacity to accurately understand the the past, it's like very understandable why a historian would be concerned about that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that and it's like these people, if they disagreed with him, you know, if they think, you know, because it's unclear exactly what they disagree with. Do they disagree with the fact that like presentism is happening? they would not agree that presentism is happening or they think that it's, like, good that presentism is happening, you know? Right. I mean, most of the comments were, like, because there was a bunch of comments underneath the article, which is, like, you know, most of the comments were people saying things like, oh, so, you know, you think that only, like, like straight white men can be objective or something. Right. And it's, it's like, it's almost exactly the inverse of his actual argument, which is, like, when he says, like, he's, like, very clearly, he's, like, um, we need to interpret elements of the past within the worlds of our historical actors. You know, mm -hmm. he's he's trying to be like, what did other people who are clearly not me right 
think in the past think about this how did they feel what what were their social worlds you yeah. know? and the task of history is to sort of like be able to accurately understand those social worlds and and you know evaluate them and 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 schematize them right it's a similar thing to what we talk about about the the way that like an american view of the world is inaccurately projected like think looking at things through like a united states way of thinking and then projecting that globally yeah this is like looking at the past through a contemporary and also like american frame and that doesn't make sense it doesn't help us actually understand the past or the world and so yeah, and, and it's like, again, if people want to disagree with this guy, if they want to, like, write a response and explain why they think that his critique doesn't make sense, like, fair enough, go ahead. Yeah, totally, and I mean, I think that we should be really clear that you can disagree with this guy. Like, but, like, please do, explain that, why. That was always fine, and actually, like, there, I know that there are, like, whole, like, schools within, within the social sciences that have, like, plenty of ways to defend, like, a more presentist kind of framework of history you know they'll say like well we can never really know everything about history anyway so like it's always going to be partial it's never going to be completely objective so we might as well be using it to try to understand things in the present blah blah blah, blah, blah you know like there there are ways to defend that point of view and they're totally valid ways you know they're respectable academic um uh, arguments in favor of that but that is not what is being leveraged against him and obviously yeah. like if it were he would not be fucking apologizing exactly like the issue is that his like totally respectful, reasonable, scholarly paper is being framed as harm. Like, that's yeah, the Yeah, and issue. he has to listen and learn. <laughs> he has to listen and learn and apologize, and that's absurd. Like, it's absolutely absurd, and, you know, we won't go on about this too much longer, but I think that this erosion of, like, you know, I mean, we see it in all areas, you know, but for scholars and researchers who are supposed to be um, thinking carefully about things and providing us with like accurate specific um arguments and ways of looking at things now they can't because they're gonna get in trouble for it it's very concerning it's a fucking problem it's concerning yeah and if this is happening like and i mean we know that it is it's happening all over academia um and this isn't some like right-wing nut job no absolutely not being like canceled for saying like like bigoted slurs no he's like absolutely (laughs) not in any way shape or form like that you know so anyway, we will post um, the article, um, which I think his apology is like in the article now. Yeah. Um, so you'll see both. We'll we'll post the link in the show notes so you guys can take a look at it. Um, but I find it very concerning, and also part of the reason I want to talk about this just before we move on is that like, I'm sure this guy did not realize exactly how much trouble he was going to get in. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Probably it was somewhat surprising given his his apology and his response. It seems like he's a bit surprised. But, like, I think that it takes a lot of courage for people to stand up against this stuff. It takes a lot of courage for people to, for example, write, you know, um, like a a critique of the way that the discipline of history is being eroded by, like, contemporary identitarianism, you know? Yeah. It takes a lot to do that, and it's not just in history, it's in all sorts of fields. Yeah. Um, And I think that we, as people who believe in um free speech and in like rigorous intellectual debate who want people to be able to think openly and and carefully and for there to be dialogue instead of things just getting shut down we really need to be supporting these people Mm -hmm. because there's huge personal cost to doing this kind of thing like i don't know what's going on for this guy but i'm sure it sucks i'm sure it really sucks and i'm sure that like most of his fucking colleagues 
are probably way too cowardly to stand up for him publicly. Yeah, because they're scared because they don't want to lose their careers, you know? Yeah. And so, I don't know. I'm just saying that for those of us who are invested in in shifting this, this way of doing things, we really got to, like support people who are being brave in this way. So I wanted to draw attention to this guy and and what's going on for him. Yep. So now let's get into the episode, which is totally unrelated to all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so this, art- uh, this episode is based on an article that I kind of put together a couple days ago. Um, and that article was itself based on some thinking that I had done recently when someone... Uh, Someone just asked me, like, what do you think are some of the similarities between cancel culture and the criminal justice system or, like, the carceral system? And, you know, I think that they were asking me to say, you know, sort of like, oh, like, they both believe in punishment, like, this kind of stuff. And that's totally true, and we're going to get into some of that. But what I ended up... um, arriving at was was I was like wow like there's also like a lot of differences between cancel culture and the criminal justice system and honestly like mainly those differences um I mean obviously there's there's differences in the kinds of punishments that are meted out but there's also a huge difference in how these two systems treat the accused yeah right and the rights of the accused the rights of the accused exactly well in one of them there are some yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and so yeah we're gonna just get into that um not because we want to you know defend the criminal justice system which i think like most progressive people or people like broadly on the left in north america understand has like some serious serious problems in, Mm -hmm. in north america in both the u.s and canada um, but because we want to point out that there are like elements within the criminal justice system which have been uh, fought for um, and which protect people, um, and those are extremely important elements. And a huge one of those is like all the different rights that accused people have within the criminal justice system. And we think that those rights are self-evidently a good thing. And the fact that they don't exist in cancel culture is like a gigantic like red flag if that's your your idea of what justice is. Yeah, it's interesting um, because we've talked about this before, but there's this certain um, there's this certain type of self-appointed abolitionist, prison abolitionist, who argues that cancel culture is an alternative to the criminal justice system. It's a way of doing justice without involving cops and courts um, and is somehow inherently more just, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet this system, cancel culture, like actually removes from it the things that exist in the criminal justice system that offer any kind of rights to accused people. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go into more specifics about that, but yeah. it's absolutely bonkers and bizarre to me that abolitionists or people who call themselves abolitionists can argue for cancel culture, which we've talked about before, but for sure. And we're going to go into a bit more detail about why it's exactly so bonkers. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's start with, um, some of the ways in which cancel culture and the criminal justice system actually share certain logics, mm-hmm. right? Because they do like, they're both essentially they're, they're both like systems of punishment mm-hmm. in one way or another. Right. Mm-hmm. And in order to be a system of punishment that, you know, is also calling itself justice, um, there, there has to be certain, um, premises that, that you agree with. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, the first that, that they both share, I think, is that punishment produces justice, uh-huh. right? This is the idea that justice primarily is about finding 
um, people who are guilty and then punishing them and making making it so that they experience punishment so that they cannot like quote unquote get away with what they did um and that that act in and of itself punishing those people is more or less what justice is about uh-huh. it gives satisfaction to the victim it um, makes sure that the offender sort of like suffers an appropriate amount uh-huh. um as retaliation for what they've done right and i think that in both the criminal justice system and cancel culture um that's like one of the main goals uh-huh yep and nobody talks about this very clearly, you know? So I think that we're trying to, like, pull out the specificity of, like, the arguments. Mm. But, like, when people talk about, both with the criminal justice system and with cancel culture, there's a lot of, there's a lot of mixing together punishment, justice, and also the idea of, like, prevention or preventing crime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not talked about with a lot of clarity. But, yes, I think that both of them argue that punishment is like an important and necessary response to some kind of harm um and also that this has a role in um preventing future crime yeah yeah exactly so like both of them believe that punishment has like a number of useful functions right like not only is it just sort of like to make the person suffer but that suffering itself produces future compliance for example it's Uh like if you like hurt someone enough then they won't do it again that's like one of the main ideas that's why they call it the correctional system right you know and prisons are correctional facilities because they're supposed to correct you by by hurting you until you stop doing and we know that this is untrue but anyway yeah i mean statistics show that like that fucking doesn't work at all um, but yeah, so that's like, yeah, so they'll produce future compliance, they'll prevent recidiv- recidivism, um, they'll discourage offenses in the first place by scaring people, right? right? So the idea is that like, if you punish enough people and it's done publicly, then people who are otherwise tempted to commit those offenses won't because they understand that there's a punishment. Right. Um, and so in those ways, punishment is supposed to generally keep people safe. Right. right. And I think that, yeah, again, these are logics that are shared by, by both systems. Um, Another element that is shared by both is the idea that isolation is itself a good tool of punishment and thus justice, right? Like, one of the main things that prison does is, like, you know, you're not... I mean, they make prisoners work and, like, all sorts of, like, other, like, nasty things that they do to prisoners. But, like, um, you know, we don't sort of, like, tie people to a stake and, like, lash them anymore or whatever, right? right? Like, we isolate people. Yeah. We take them away from their communities, from their families, from their friends. Yeah. And we put them in a box. Yeah. And we keep them there for years. Yeah. And that is the basis of the prison system. Yeah. It's that isolation. And, of course, like, you know depending on what kind of prison you're in and and what kind of sentence you have, like you might be around a lot of other people pretty frequently, but there are other prisoners, right? Yeah. Like, and you're, you're completely isolated from like, the real world. Uh-huh. Right. Um, and uh, like part of all this, an underlying logic to all of this, to, like um, that makes it possible to even think about the world this way is this idea that the world can be neatly divided into good people and bad people, uh-huh. or at least innocent people and guilty people, and that that division can be accomplished neatly enough and, and accurately enough to justify the kinds of punishments that we inflict on the guilty people, uh-huh. right? Because we understand that you're not supposed to punish innocent people, right? And so there's this like process in which we determine who's guilty, and then we punish those people. Yeah, who deserves right? punishment. Who deserve punishment, right? Um, now, obviously, like, there's... <laughs> philosophically speaking, and, like, even, like, metaphysically speaking, it's, like, is there truly, like, 
such a thing as like an innocent person and a guilty person. Like when, when we're talking about like adults who've lived for decades and who've done all sorts of things, you know, it gets pretty murky, I think. But um, both cancel culture and the criminal justice system are basically like, nope, we can decide. Um, and the people who are bad and who are guilty, um, we have punishments available for them. Right. Um, and we can determine who they are. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that those are the main sort of like ways that cancel culture and the criminal justice system converge in terms of their internal logics. Um, do you have anything you want to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking about it just because lots of people have gotten mad at me for saying that, uh, cancel culture is carceral, which mm. I have said in the past. And also my zine is called fuck the police means we don't have to like cops to each other. Yeah. People don't like that. People get mad at me about that. Um, but yeah, I think that there's also, um, like along with punishment, there is like a dehumanization process in both cancel culture and, um, the criminal justice system that like, and you kind of touched on this, but it's like when you have been marked as somebody who's guilty, as somebody who has committed a crime, it's like you're stripped of certain um, certain human rights. Mm. Um, I think both by the criminal justice system and by cancel culture. Yeah. Um, and, and along with that process is like you're stripped of the right for people to empathize with you. Right. You are turned into this like two-dimensional caricature. Um, and that is part of the reason why um, it's okay not only to do the the sanctioned punishment of the criminal justice system, but also the, like, quote-unquote unsanctioned punishment of it, which is all the violence that happens inside. Yeah. And so, like, people will joke about that, you know? Or it's, like, this sort of... Um, it's fucking weird, actually. Like, even in... Even in the supposed, like, left, like, in the nexus and stuff like that, you know, there's cases of people, like, making jokes about someone who who was accused of rape or something like that going to jail and people joking that, like, they hope that the person is sexually assaulted inside jail, you know? Right. Yeah. So we all know that, like, jail includes, like, other punishments beyond the ones that are, like, sort of the official punishment of isolation. Yeah. The, like, sexual torture is, like, normalized. Yes. And the, and the idea that, like, the violence that goes on among inmates or from guards is, like... We aren't supposed to really care about that because these people, if they didn't want that to happen to them, they, they never should have done it in the first place, which right. is part of this larger process of, like, dehumanization and, like, blocking us from having empathy with those who are accused. So, and I feel like in different ways, that plays out both in um, the criminal justice system and in cancel culture. Because in cancel culture as well, um, people, there's the sort of, like, official punishments of cancel culture, which can be like you're banned from here and, and you're banned from there. Yeah. But we all know that it goes further than that. Right. You know? And that often there's like a whole bunch of other stuff that gets added on, but like nobody takes responsibility for that. Yeah. And then also it's not like an official punishment. Like it's not what the cancellation website called for. Um, but we all know that it's going on and we all believe that the person probably deserves it anyway because they've been dehumanized and they've been marked as guilty and bad. Yeah. So that's just like a sort of I thought, but yeah, I agree. Like the the idea that there's these sort of like extra punishments that get like tacked on that aren't like part of the sanctioned punishment, yeah. and we're just like, well, yeah, figures. And, and it works because we've dehumanized the person, so we think that it's fine. Right. Exactly. Um, so all that being said, there are also major differences. And like I mentioned, like honestly, like the major difference, like going forward from this point, is that um, 
in the criminal justice system, there is such a thing as the rights of the accused. Yeah. When you're accused of a crime in the criminal justice system, you have certain legally protected rights that, um, at least in theory, right, cannot be alienated from you. Mm-hmm. They cannot be taken away from you. Um, and that provides, like, a measure of protection against, you know, um, cops just randomly, like, picking people up and, and throwing them in jail and all this. Now, we all know that in practice, yeah. a lot of people get totally fucked by yeah. the criminal justice system. Yeah, right? and just because there's these, like, these rights doesn't mean that they're actually, like... It doesn't mean that they're always exercised. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they're always protected as, as well as they should be. In many cases, they're, like, barely barely real, but they are, like, legally protected, right? And, like, that's something that, it, that if anything, we should be fighting for them to be, like, more protected. Absolutely. In, like, any future iteration of any... Excuse me, I have the hiccups. Any sort of justice system, um, those rights that protect accused people must be held to be like totally sacrosanct and i would say that one of the major issues with the criminal justice system apart from the way that like the prison system is just absolutely like heinous and like fucked um and super violent and tortures people and traumatizes them (laughs) um is the fact that oftentimes innocent people who um are accused of a crime end up like, doing time anyway in, like, plea agreements and shit. Yes. Um, literally just because, like, the criminal justice system does not have enough, like, staff or time or money to carry out its own promises. Yeah, and I mean, the idea that, you know, like, the difference between a public defender and, like, your rich person fancy lawyer yeah. is bullshit. Yeah. Like, it, it, there shouldn't be two different criminal justice systems, one for rich people and one for poor people. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why the plea deal system works, because it's, like, people plead because they don't have good representation because they're poor and yep. so it's it's like basically they're given the the option of like you can risk this and go to trial and then if you're found guilty do like a fuck ton of time mm-hmm. or you can plead down to like these lesser charges which maybe you didn't do at all mm-hmm. but you only do a little bit of time which fucking sucks because then these people get a criminal record for something that they potentially didn't do or that would have been totally thrown out because there's not enough evidence if they had had proper representation. Yeah. So that's definitely um, a way in which the rights don't actually get carried out in practice. Yeah. That being said, um, in, and this is like kind of a, a weird thing to say, I guess, uh, given like our, our crowd, you know, but like in like big areas of the, of the continent of North America and like in the criminal justice system, like people do often have access to these rights, like when they're accused of a crime. Um, and that is important. And it matters, right? Um, and anyways, like, let's let's go through some of these different rights, yeah. you know? Like, this is not, like, an exhaustive list, and I'm also not a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but this is just, like, some stuff that, that we were thinking about that, like, in the criminal justice system, like, you have, you have fucking rights about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and how that contrasts with how things work in cancel culture. So, obviously, the first is that... In the criminal justice system, you have the right to be considered innocent before being proven guilty. This is very basic. Like, everyone knows it by heart from, like, watching, like, cop shows mm-hmm. or, like, being arrested a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's very important because what it means is that, like, 
Someone simply accusing you of something doesn't mean that you then have to be punished. It also doesn't mean that your legal rights can be taken away from you immediately. Yeah. Like, there are some cases in which they can, like, hold you until you're convicted of a crime because they have, like, you know, reason to believe, blah, blah, blah. Right? And that's actually very common. Like, the whole bail system is totally fucked up and people can be held in, they can be incarcerated until trial, which can sometimes be for, like, a long time. Yeah. But... Still, you are considered innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. Um, And so contrast that with a cancellation campaign where, you know, as we've pointed out in previous episodes, there is no step in a cancellation campaign where you're even considered potentially innocent. No. In fact, it's considered, like, it's considered harm to suggest that we even take a moment to consider the accused's side of things, to consider that there's the possibility that this isn't true. Like, if you in any way suggest that it could be untrue, you are considered an abuse apologist, which we talked about in the last episode. Yeah. Um, and you're actually, like, like, you're accused of causing violence. Yeah, so, like, the idea that someone might be innocent is, like, it's not only, like, ludicrous, it's, it's violent. Yeah. Like, it's, it's very, it's extremely harmful and dangerous, yeah. right? And you're, you would be treated with, like, extreme suspicion if you came out and you were like, actually, I think that this person, like, didn't do it, or whatever. Yeah. Or, like, what if this person didn't do it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? So, even just the suggestion that someone might be innocent is, like, absolutely not acceptable in cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah, and I have, like, a couple things to say about this. So... I don't know. Like, I think that people really grapple with this, and I understand why. I understand it very intimately because it is true, you know, like, how do we determine if someone is guilty of a crime, right? Like, there's, like, an investigation, like, in the criminal justice system, I mean, there's an investigation, you know, police, like, gather evidence, they take statements um, from witnesses, from from the the victim or the accuser, you know, they gather all of this together and then they, they make a case in court. And sometimes that just, that is decided by a judge and sometimes it's decided by a jury. And it's like in many crimes, you know, there's not a lot of evidence, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in like domestic violence and sexual assault, very often it happens in private. So there's no witnesses. And so it gets down into this situation of like, basically he said, she said, or it's like my word against your word, you know? Mm -hmm. And I understand like why, um, people feel upset about this because it can be really frustrating. Like, how do you prove something without no, there's no witnesses to, right? Um, and like, I have been on the stand in front of a jury and like, was asked all of those questions and, you know, like the person that I was accusing was found not guilty. Mm -hmm. So I fully fucking understand. But at the same time, you have to look at it from the other, the other side, which is that to, to declare someone a rapist, you know, or to charge them with a serious violent crime and then to, to mete out the punishment associated with that crime is like a very, very, very serious thing to do. It is. And if if you are wrong and you do that to someone who didn't do it, you're like completely fucking up their life in such a very severe way. Yeah, you've committed like a horrific violation. Yeah, and so it's like we are caught in an ethical dilemma here because on the one hand, 
it is very hard to prove these types of crimes often. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, falsely accusing people and punishing them when they didn't do it is really fucked up. And so I think that this is something that people just don't want to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And so they sort of step over it by making the assertion that people simply don't lie about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's no case in which false accusations happen or in which, um, you know, people... Um, like innocent people are picked up like by exactly. the cops. Exactly. Or, or like mistaken identity and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, um, you know, cancel culture people are just like... The <laughs> I love that she's called them cancel culture people. <laughs> people who love cancel culture. <laughs> um, <laughs> they really just insist that like they don't have to grapple with that question. You know? Yeah. They just really insist that there's no way that, that they could ever be wrong. And I think that that's pretty, like, I while I can emotionally empathize with the desire to step over this thorny ethical issue, you know, um, it's, it's something that I really don't think is, it is responsible for us to do. Like, I think we actually do have to grapple with this issue, you know? And I think that, um, it's, I mean, I think it's wrong to incarcerate people in general, but I also think that it's especially wrong to incarcerate somebody who didn't fucking do it. And in terms of cancel culture, you know, to be, to be called these like really serious accusations and to have them blasted all over the internet, to have everybody, you know, be told that this is true and it's not true. It's a really serious thing to do to someone's life. And so, you know, that leaves us with the question of like, how do we determine, um, guilt or innocence, especially in the context where we're not involving the cops, right? So there is no official investigation. And I don't have an easy answer for you guys on that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe it's bigger than the scope of this episode, but it is something that I think people really need to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are sort of like, well, the whole criminal justice system, courts, cops, all that stuff, like, we don't need that because we're, like, they're, like, bad and, like, corrupt and, like, stupid, and we don't need that because we're, like, young and smart and pure, you know? Right. And so, like, we just know who's guilty. Like, it's fine. Right. Like, we don't need this whole process, right? Yeah. And it's like, I get it, man. Like, we, we don't like the state. Like, we don't like the police. Like, we, we've seen our friends get, like, locked up for stupid bullshit. Like, we've, we've been, like, fucking hunted by cops when we were younger, you know, for just, like, being sketchy and young. Like, yeah. it's like, it fucking sucks. We don't like that kind of shit. Um, also, though... Like, we live in the real world, yeah. right? And, like, we if we were going to have, like, any sort of mechanism for punishing people, like, it makes sense that there would be some sort of, like, checks and balances on it. Yeah. And, like, I'm not even, like, foreclosing the possibility of, like, you know, some sort of, like, theoretical, like, people-based sort of justice system that, like, isn't, like, carried out by the police or something like that, you know? Like, but, like... If that existed, it wouldn't look like fucking cancel culture, is what I'm saying. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I just want to be clear. Like, we are not suggesting that you call the cops on someone instead of canceling them so that they get a trial. Are, right. we, are you suggesting I mean, that? No, I'm not. I don't <laughs> think that you should call the police on people in general. Like. Yeah, like, we're not suggesting that. But what we are saying is that, you know, meeting out huge consequences on someone's life when you don't know whether or not they did it is a very ethically loaded thing to do, you know? And I think that you need to grapple with the question of whether or not you could be wrong. Um, 
and what a serious thing it would be if you were wrong. Yeah. And so where do we go from there in terms of all of this? Like, I don't know. And I think that that's what we should be spending some time thinking about, you know? And I mean, the question changes. I Like, this is kind of an aside, and we'll get back to to the episode in a second, but like the question changes depending on like what we want to do with this information. Right. Mm. I actually think that the question changes a lot if we aren't trying to punish anyone. Right. Right. Um, I do think that sometimes we really do have to accept that we don't know. Yeah. And that we may never know. Like if you're in a situation where two people are saying very different things and they're both saying them with total conviction, you know, you don't have any other like concrete evidence and you don't have any witnesses, and you don't have, like, you know, there's not, for example, like, a history of the, the accused person doing the same behavior that they've been accused of here. You don't really have any sort of supporting evidence to make it seem like they did it, mm-hmm. but the person who is saying they did it is really having a lot of conviction. Well, I don't know what happened, and I think that that, that place of, like, literally being, like, agnostic is it fair to say that Mm -hmm. like to be agnostic in that situation and say like i literally don't know i think that like scares a lot of people because they're just like okay well how do we have justice then and i think that like the true like mature like living in reality kind of answer to that question is that like we need to find a way to move on not knowing yeah we can't actually just decide something when we don't know Mm mm-hmm Especially when it means like punishing someone in a very severe way. So definitely, I think that in a situation like that, you could um, you could support both people. Mm. You could try to offer resources to both people, and you could also help facilitate boundaries between the people, so that the person who is accusing, if they don't want to be around the accused, we could help them do that. Yeah. Um, but I I think it would be very unethical to meet out these massive consequences on the accused life without any evidence that it is true. And I think that there's, like, good examples of this actually within the criminal justice system where someone might commit a crime. They really did it. Um, they're found not guilty, which doesn't mean that they were found to not have done it. It was, right. it was, it means that a court was like, there's not enough evidence to convict this person. Yeah. And then the victim can still be like rewarded criminal compensation, for example. Right. And this happened to me, so I should probably mention it. Yeah. Basically, I got criminal injuries compensation. And like, what that means is that like, well, I was living in Ontario at the time and victims of violent crime can be given money from the government. I think the current Ontario government is trying to erode this. Um, but basically what it means is that, you know, you still there's still like a, tr- a type of trial, so you still have to make a case and like I had to get a lawyer, which I got through like a um like legal aid. Yeah, legal aid, like free community lawyer thing. And like basically, you know, even though he was found not guilty in a criminal court, I was still able to provide all my evidence to show that you were like a credible victim yeah and to like show whatever there's there was a lot of evidence there's a giant folder of evidence um and so there wasn't enough evidence for a jury to feel comfortable sending him to jail for whatever amount of time that would have been for such a serious charge but there was enough evidence for the government to say it really does sound like you were victimized in this situation and so we're going to give you a whole bunch of money so that you can maybe take some time to take care of yourself and like get your needs met while you're trying to recover from trauma. So I do think that that is a good example of like a way of finding a middle ground of being like, okay, well we don't know Mm -hmm. and we don't know enough to like really seriously punish this person, 
but we do know enough to think that you know you're really not doing okay and it seems like something bad happened to you yeah. so we're going to try to help you out you know and I feel like moving in that kind of direction generally is probably a good idea yeah um so the next major difference that we want to talk about um, in terms of the rights of the accused are they, they revolve around it revolves around defense um, defending yourself right so like when you're accused of a crime, you have the right to defend yourself. Yeah. Um, in a trial. Like yeah. In front of a court, right? Um, you're allowed to, you know, present evidence that is supposed to show that you didn't do it, or you're allowed to like make arguments that say that you would never have done that, or whatever, right? Yeah. You have like a lawyer that helps you do this. You mount a defense. It's called a defense lawyer, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, this also is very important for the entire concept of justice because it means that if you're accused of something, you're allowed to speak back to it and you're allowed to like give your your perspective and, you know, the people who are trying to adjudicate this process can then, you know, reflect on what you've said and what the accuser said and then sort of like try to decide what reality is, right? Um, and very importantly, during this process, it's not weird or like bad to defend yourself it's completely normal expected in fact like necessary right um it's part of the process to defend yourself versus in cancel culture defending yourself um is basically evidence of guilt in and of itself yeah and further than that it's because you're already assumed to be guilty and there's no um consideration of the fact that you might not be guilty to defend yourself, even though it's known that you're guilty, yeah. right, is evidence of, like, a sneaky character. It's absolutely bizarre because it's, like, the concept of refusing accountability, the entire concept of it, which is, refusing accountability is a phrase that is used over and over again in cancel culture, right? And it, whenever someone is accused of something and they don't immediately apologize and say they did it and say they'll do whatever is asked of them, it's called refusing accountability. And it's like, it's very bizarre that we would jump to accountability before determining culpability. Right. Why? That's the whole game, though. Yeah, that, but it's bizarre. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely bizarre and it makes no sense. Of course. But it, like, com- it completely cuts out the possibility that the person could not have done it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, I've made the comparison before, but it's like... It's like you literally go from accusation to sentencing. Yeah. Like there is no trial and there is no opportunity for the accused to defend themselves in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you also, um, in, in the criminal justice system, you have the right to face your accuser. Mm-hmm. You also have the right to, um, to like be supported in your, in your defense. Right. You know, like you have a lawyer and the lawyer understands the laws, you know, and, like, understands how to make a case for you and understands, like, you know, what the accusations are and, like, whatever. They are skilled at being able to defend you. So it's not even just, like, you personally standing up there alone being, like, I'm defending myself. It's, like, you actually have, like, a skilled advocate whose job it is to make sure that you are defended in the best possible way. Yeah. Where, like, nothing like this exists in cancel culture at all. No. And, like, anyone who did try to defend you would be added to the yes, list of people who are being canceled. Because you're now an enabler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's as if your lawyer were, like, thrown in jail with you <laughs> at the end of the trial. Yeah. Because how dare defending. you? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, another, um, another difference between cancel culture and the criminal justice system um, is that, basically, 
you have the right to not incriminate yourself. Um, and so this is the whole thing of like, you know, anything that you say can and will be used against you. Right. Like, those are your rights that are, like, read to you when you're arrested. That, like... Telling you you're allowed to shut the fuck up. That you are allowed to shut the fuck up until you talk to a lawyer. Which, by the way, you should always shut the fuck up before you talk to a lawyer. Yeah. Just don't say anything. Just don't ever talk to the police. And so, we know this, right? Like, this is kind of, like, popular culture knowledge, right? From people seeing it on shows all the time. And obviously, anyone who's had any kind of sketchy life might have some closer... Um, experience with it, but basically the idea that like you don't incriminate yourself, you don't offer up more information, you don't you don't talk yourself into a corner. You wait until you have your lawyer who is there to defend you and who understands you know the situation and is and is like there to to take your best interest to heart. You know, like to actually be defending you and making choices that are going to be in your best interest. And so, also, I just want to point out that like. Um, there are rules against the police, like, um, basically, like, bullying you into a confession. Right. Right? They do it. Like, we know that they do it. Yeah. But technically, there are rules against it. And also, if you can sort of, like, show that your testimony was produced, like, under um, under duress, right? Yeah. That you were being forced in, in some way, it's considered invalid and yeah. it can't be used in court, right? Um, so, yeah. It's just, like, there are, there are, like, a number of safeguards built into the system to make sure that people have the right not to incriminate themselves. Yeah. And so, to contrast that with cancel culture, <laughs> you are always supposed to incriminate yourself in cancel culture. Yeah. And this is, I went on a bit of a rant about this in the last episode, but this gets at part of the reason why I was getting so heated about the, the nexus, like, cancel culture insistence that you always tell people the fucked up things you've done in the past, mm-hmm. right? That you are supposed to disclose right. to, like, the internet at large, right. to every new date, to every new friend, like, whatever it is in the past that you did that was fucked up. Yeah. That's incrimination. <laughs> yeah, it like, is. Because the thing is, is that it's like, you know... Both socially, but also, like, legally. Yes. You're, like, admitting to... Like, depending on what it is that you're accused of. But, like, often, it's like, people like, you should, like, actively admit to a crime. Like, every time you meet anyone. (laughs) Yeah. And I literally saw a cancellation in which they got a young person to basically admit to a crime on video. Um... And it's like, that can be used against them in a court of law. Like, you have to understand that that could actually get that person incarcerated. Yeah. Um, And it's, like, a very serious thing to do. But basically, like, you know, as anarchists, we think about the information that we have and who we can trust with that information. Right? (laughs) Like, you don't just tell everybody everything because you know that certain things can be used against you. Like, this is common, common knowledge on the left. You would think, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to... um, You want to trust people with the information that you're giving them. And so, like, the idea that you should be that vulnerable and tell the entire internet and tell, like, every person that you meet something that can be used against you. And, like, yeah, maybe maybe it could be used against you in court. But also, even if it could never be used against you in court because it's not... Um, actually a crime, it can be used against you in cancel culture for sure, right? Yeah. And so the idea that, like, you should just tell people, like, that you assaulted someone and then you hope that that's going to be treated with, like, 
grace. Yeah, and kindness, and that the person's going to be like, wow, it's really obvious that you've changed and you've done a lot of work on yourself. Like, no, you're opening yourself up to being canceled in a brutal way. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, I don't recommend it, you know? But yeah, like even that aside, it's like one of the main sort of like obligations that you're under when you are first getting canceled is that you have to sort of admit your guilt. You have to go out and make statements about what a bad person you are and how you have to like listen and learn now or whatever it is, you know, Um, like you have to do it. And if you don't do it, that's like another point of evidence against you, you know, and like literally like, um, fuck, what was it recently? I saw... Anyway, I saw some stupid cancel spectacle on on Instagram, and, like, the people being canceled, I think it was, like, a band, hadn't, like, made a statement in, like, a week or something. Yeah. And people were like, wow, like, no statement? That's, like, the the surest sign of guilt or whatever, you know what I mean? And people start freaking out like that, like, literally, like, within the hour of the call-out drop, you know? Like, people are like, why haven't you made a statement? And it's like, oh, my God, like... Give, give people a second, man, to figure out what they're going to say. And also let them not talk to the fucking cops. Yeah. Um, and so I also want to say before we move on that a few people, like actually I don't know how many at this point, but it's, it's a common theme with canceled people, that many people who have been canceled released a statement immediately and regretted it. And also they released a statement in which they took responsibility for things that they didn't do. And they very much regretted it. It's a common thing where people are like, I believe that, you know, we're told that cancel culture is about justice and like no one is really disposable. And like, if you just do the right thing, it's going to be okay for you. Mm -hmm. That is not true. And it's the good cop. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Just sign here. It's just the good cop being like, yeah, like just sign this, you know, like I'm going to tell the judge you were being really cool. Really cooperative. (laughs) And so, and I literally like know people who basically made a statement, something along the lines of like, I never, like I did not know that I assaulted someone. It was never in my awareness that what happened was an assault, (laughs) but that if this person is saying it was an assault, then it obviously was an assault. And therefore I take responsibility for that. And I am sorry. You know? And these people, obviously, they just get fucking slammed as, like, rapists and predators without ever... When they did not fucking do it, you know? Yeah. So, incrimination. You know, you have the right not to incriminate yourself. Yeah. Also, in the criminal justice system, you have the right to appeal. You can appeal decisions that are made against you. Um, You know, you can, like... You can address the court, like, if you are uh, imprisoned, like, generally, after a while, you can appeal and be like, um, actually, like, I want, like, another trial, or, you know, um, you can also sort of, like, you know, you can be like, I have, like, served a certain amount of my sentence, and I think that I am now reformed, or whatever, you know, and so there's this way that you can sort of, like, even when decisions are made against you, you can sort of, like, um, take issue with them the way in which you can do that is very circumscribed. Like it's like, it's not like easy to do. You don't get to do it like often or, or frequently or or easily. Um, but you can do it. The option exists. Yeah. The option exists. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's possible because there is someone to appeal to you and there is a decision to appeal versus in cancel culture, there is no one to appeal to you and there is no one, and there's no official decisions that have been made against you. Right now, there are certain exceptions to this. Um, 
when cancellations are happening like really in like an organizational setting often there is some sort of like way to appeal or whatever but like very often those cancellations then spread outside the organization anyway and 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 when that happens it's game over right and this is one of the things about about cancel culture is that it's just like this like amorphous mass of internet people uh freaking out at you like the main thing that unites them is they know you're fucking guilty you know um and it doesn't matter really matter of what what was that you wrote a piece about this sort of it was this piece. No, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a different piece where you were like the kind of like the fantasy that somebody is. Oh yeah, the um, yeah yeah the uh, it was like the, about the tyranny of structurelessness. Yeah, and just the idea that like you know when people imagine a cancellation, I think they imagine a sort of like some like nice tender queer sitting in like a NGO office somewhere, being like, oh well, uh, I think that this person should be banned from this cafe and then another person being like that's a great idea and i also think that they should be given the op- the opportunity to apologize if they need yeah. to and another person being like great let's go to their house and we'll talk to them or whatever you know yeah. what i mean and like then you know um you can if you're the one being accused you can sort of like go to their little ngo office and you can be like actually guys like um it turns out like i didn't actually do those things and or whatever you know what i mean yeah None of that is real obviously there is almost never like an actual group of people who could reasonably be said to be like in charge of a cancellation often there's like an initial canceller right yeah. someone who like sets it off but then it just fucking grows right yeah. at least a big one it just it just goes and goes and you're gonna have like these different like sort of like little groupings of people that for whatever reason have taken it up that are really invested and in fucking with you um and like there's yeah there's no overarching organization yeah, and right. people believe they sort of have this sense that like somewhere, somewhere along the line, somebody made sure that this is fair, and we're just following along with it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like you know, this accusation um, that I'm now seeing about this person must have been made by somebody who was victimized by that yeah. person, right? Or else, why would that accusation exist? Yeah. But that like very often is not the case, right? Because someone can be accused of like being sketchy, and then it morphs into like yeah. you know assault, which then morphs into like rapist, whatever. Like yeah. this kind of thing happens pretty frequently with cancel culture, right? Yeah. Um, and so like there can be like accusations that are made, but not even by anyone who was the victim of the alleged yeah like action, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's like all kinds of ways in which like it is actually completely impossible to appeal any kind of decision. There is no decision. Yeah, and there's no one to appeal to. And there's no one to appeal to. And there's to. even cases, you know, where, like, it's, like, it's it's not common, but, like, there are cases in which the original canceller or even the original victim is, like, I don't want this. Oh, yeah, it's, like, begging for it to stop. Yeah, yeah and totally. it's, like, I don't actually want this or, like, I changed my mind about it and, like, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, once it's out there... Like, the, the the original accuser has no control over where it goes, and even if they actively are like, I don't want this anymore, it is very unlikely that, like, the avalanche of the internet is going to respond to that. It's it's out of their hands now. Yeah. So there's really no one to appeal to. There's no there's no one in control. Mm-hmm. There's no one driving the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Another difference, um, which... It's like intimately connected. Yeah, to what we were just saying is that like within the criminal justice system, there's a whole bunch of rules, right? Like there's a whole bunch of standardizations, rules, there's professionals, there's norms, etc. Like there are people in charge, very, very much so. Like there's an entire legal system where things are laid out. There is a court, you know, where these things happen. It is structured in very particular ways. And so you can at least, you know, 
Ideally. Ideally, you, things will be explained to you about what you can expect. It's going to follow a particular course. Um, you are supposed to get the same treatment that other people get. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happening in a structured way that is bound by the law. Yeah. And, like, emphasis on the law. There are specific laws. Like, when yeah. you're accused of a crime, you're not accused of, like, being a jerk. Totally. Or, like, being sketchy. You're accused of, like, you know, assault with a weapon or, yeah. like, whatever. You know? Like, there are specific crimes that, that you are being accused of that, that break specific laws, right? And those specific crimes each carry specific sentences or at least, like, a range that, yeah. that a judge can decide, right? Yeah. So if you, you know, like, beat someone up on a street corner, you can't go to jail for 100 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if you steal some candy, you can't go to jail for six years. Like, yeah. at least not Canada, you know? Yeah. Um, and so they're, like, the the kind of, like, punishments that you, that you can expect are standardized, right? Yeah. They're, and I consider them to be cruel yeah. and too much, yeah. you know? But, like, at least in theory, they're supposed to, like, not be cruel or insane, right? Yeah. Which is, like, why we no longer sort of, like, tie people to stuff and whip them or whatever, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, that's yeah, there's supposed to be limits to what you can do, you yeah, know? exactly. And there's supposed to be an end point to your punishment. Exactly. It finishes at a certain point. Yeah. And so in cancel culture, by contrast, it's completely fucking random. Yeah. Like, there actually is no structure to it at all. There are no rules about how it plays out. There's definitely themes and tropes, you know, that we see over and over again. Yeah. But it is actually kind of random. And, like, two people who were accused of similar things, like, one person's cancellation might kind of blow over, mm-hmm. and, like, it doesn't totally fuck up their life. It, it happened on a smaller scale, and another person, for, like, whatever fucking reason, the way that the algorithm works, it just blew up on the internet in an insane way, yeah. and then the consequences of it turn out to be, like, absolutely fucking devastating for them. Yeah, and they have to, like, move to South America or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. so, Yeah. There is no, there's no structure to it. There's no standardization. There's no one in charge. There's no professionals. And that's another thing with the professionals. It's like, you know, it's self-appointed people who are deciding, even with like the, uh, the, the fucking like accountability shit, when they try to make this more formal by having like accountability pods and stuff like this, Yeah, yeah. it's like, who are you guys? Mm-hmm. And what makes you like, um, qualified to do this. Right. You yeah. know? And, like, you could argue that, like, who the fuck is this lawyer and what makes this lawyer qualified to be a lawyer? But, I mean, like, at least in the case of the lawyer, he can be like, well, I went to legal school for... And he does know what the laws are. Fucking, like, a million years or whatever, yeah. you know? Um, and, like, maybe that lawyer fucking sucks and maybe he's an asshole or whatever. Yeah. But, like, there is, like, some level on which that lawyer yeah. is qualified to be in that role, you know? Yeah. Um, which, yeah, like, in the case of an accountability pod, it's, like, often just, like, pretty much, like, random people who just, totally. like, point themselves. Um, and or sometimes people with, like, an active, like, vested interest totally. in making sure that you go through the meat grinder of the accountability process because like there's all these sort of like accountability like micro entrepreneurs yeah. that have popped up in Absolutely. the last like five years you know they're sort of like I, I do like mediation or whatever yeah. you know but it's like they do it in the context of the nexus yeah. so like what they're really doing is they're trying to get people into accountability processes that they can just drag out for fucking yeah. like years and years and get paid for it and get paid for it so yeah the last thing I mean there's obviously there's like tons of shit we could talk about here but the last thing we're just gonna say one more is like anonymity right so like in most cases in most jurisdictions um there's some anonymity afforded to the accused before they're convicted so it's like you know often like newspapers for example are not allowed to report like the name of an accused person until they're convicted of a crime Mm -hmm. right um i think in some places like even after they're convicted of a crime i think uh yeah and like in a lot of cases like what's going on in courtrooms before um before conviction happens like can't even be reported at all 
you know. Um, actually, I, I heard an anecdote, I think this is true, which is that in Florida, um, it's, like, legal to report on, on wacky shit that's going on in courtrooms, like, before anything is, like, before any decisions are reached, which is why there's all these articles about, like, Florida, Florida Man. man right. So, like, Florida Man, like, wrestles alligator, like, right, Florida right. Man, like, attacks, like, right. goose, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, but anyways, that's, that's just an aside. But, yeah, so, like, the criminal justice system affords some level of anonymity to accused people. Yeah, and also, I think this is important, like, yes, there is such a thing as a criminal record, right? But, like, who has access to your criminal record, right? Yeah, like, outside of, like, sex offender registries, like, not everybody can just look at it. Yeah, it's like, they have to do, like, a, what is it called, what they do, like, a criminal check on you. Yeah. Like, and you can do that. Like, for example, certain employment will require that. Mm -hmm. But it's not like there's, like, a website where you can just, like, look it up and, like, you know, unless you have, like, a high-profile trial where it was in the news and stuff. But for the most part, for most crimes, you can't just easily find that information when you look that person's name up. And so the person has a certain level of anonymity in their life so that they can fucking move on. Yep. And this is something that, you know, people who, you know, fight for prisoners' rights, people who consider themselves to be abolitionists, like, do fight for and do believe in. That, like, people should have the right to move on and should not be permanently defined by this, especially after they've, like, done their time or whatever. Yeah. Um... Whereas in cancel culture, it's literally the opposite. You know, there's definitely tons of, like, there's a website about you. There's, like, endless Instagram highlight stories about you. There's, you can definitely, like, Google yourself and it'll come up on the first page of Google. You can, like, there's, like, Twitter threads about you and so on and so forth. So it's just, like, all over the internet. The idea in cancel culture is to spread the accusations as widely and as far as possible and also to, like, never let it go away. Um... Do you have anything else to say about that? No, that's pretty much it. Um, there's one other thing I want to add to this list, yeah. which is just, like, it has to do with the concept of a jury. Okay. Um, not all crimes are tried with, with a jury, mm-hmm. but for the ones that are, like, there are certain rules about who's allowed to be on a jury. Yeah. And if you are found to be um, biased, like, you will not be accepted onto the jury. Right. Right? Right. Um, this is one of the reasons why I think I would be able to get out of ever having to do jury duty mm-hmm. because of my history. I don't think they would let me, mm-hmm. which I'm happy with. But yeah, like you would not have a jury that is just um, made up of people who hate you or people who like are like your competitors in business. Right. Or people who have a vested interest in seeing you found guilty, right? Definitely not your accusers. Yeah. And so, like, the the cancel culture situation is exactly the opposite of that, where the people who are involved in, like, you know, declaring the, the guilt of the person are usually very tied up, and they're usually literally the accusers and, like, other people who don't like you. Also, like, the jury is, like, not supposed to, like, look up about other things being said about you on the internet and mm. stuff like that, you know? They're yeah, not yeah. supposed to, like, follow the news about it and stuff like that, whereas, like, you know, the opposite is true, where it's, like, anyone who's gonna, anyone who's gonna make a statement about this has to know what the official statement is, and that's what they have to say. Right. So, that's another difference. Yeah. So, you know, people um, hearing all this would you know, quite reasonably say, well, isn't the criminal justice system way more serious though? Like we're talking about putting people in jail, right? Versus like being put on blast on the internet or whatever, right? So like, why, why are we even talking about this? Um, and like, yeah, I mean, I think that there's, there's a couple things to say about this. Like one, um, one of the things that's like really insane about cancel culture is that like a lot of the things that people are accused of, are, like, not even crimes, right? So, like, if they happened um, in the context of the criminal justice system, like, like nothing would happen. Yeah, like, Like, if you called the police 
today and said, I want to report Clementine Morgan for harm, you know, and right. you listed out the many accusations against me on the internet, the cops would be like, excuse me? Like, please stop wasting our time. Yeah. And like, yeah, and I mean, one of the things I wrote in my um, article is that like, yeah, like, you know, I obviously like don't want to go to jail for 10 years or something, right? Yeah. Um, but I would, in a heartbeat, I would take a trial over having been canceled because if someone, well, exactly what you just said, you know, if someone called the police and tried to tell them the things that they have claimed about me, the police would be like, none of those things are crimes. Leave us alone. Yeah. You know? Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just like, it's, it's important for people to recognize that like a lot of the, a lot of the consequences that come with cancellation are in response to things that like the justice system doesn't even consider, doesn't even deal with in the first place to be like worthy of punishing people over. Right. Yeah. And you could argue that it should, but, but like, I think, don't. I think that you shouldn't, you know, because like, if you think that like the criminal justice system should punish people for harm or whatever, then like you're, yeah, we have, we have major differences. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah. And a second thing is that the criminal justice system, like, yeah, like it does have like much more severe consequences in a lot of cases, but it at least affords people the possibility of innocence and cancel culture fucking doesn't. Right. And I mean, it's kind of what I just said, but like, that's, that's an important statement. Like I would much rather be like subjected to a system, um, that at least tells me that (laughs) it's possible that I'm innocent. Right. Uh, Why would I, why would anyone prefer a system of justice, quote unquote justice that just assumes that you're guilty? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So those, those things in mind, like another, another thing to, to think about is just the fact that cancel culture does have very serious consequences. And it's true that they're not as serious as say like a decade in jail. Right. I think that that's a fair statement. I yeah. think that a decade in jail is like one of the most horrible things that can happen to a person. Yeah. Like hands down, you know, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Um, that being said, I think that a lot of people don't really understand, first of all, how severe the consequences of cancel culture can be. Yeah. And I think that we've tried on this podcast to sort of just like point this out to people over and over again yeah. and just be like, actually like it's, it can get much worse than you can imagine. Yeah. Like it, it, it can be like really insane, um, driving people to really like want to disappear, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's just, like, one thing to keep in mind. Like, the criminal justice system, like, yeah, like, you know, on, on one end of the spectrum, you have, like, you know, a lifetime in jail or something. But on the other end of the spectrum, you have, like, you know, 10 days of community service or something. Yeah. Right? And cancel culture is somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah. You know? I think that most people would prefer to do some community service than to have, like, their entire social life obliterated. Yeah. Right? So that's one thing. The other thing is that... We have to remember that, like, these consequences that cancel culture carries out against people, these punishments that they receive, if the state did these things to people, yeah. abolitionists would oppose them. Everyone would oppose them. Yeah, because, it would because be they're fucking insane. Bizarre and fucking, like, dystopian as fuck if this was happening. Yeah. This was my favorite part of your article, so maybe you should say some of these things. Well, that's that's the section that yeah. we're getting into right now. So, I mean, like, let's think about some of these things and, like, let's just imagine if the state were doing them to people, okay? Imagine that a person who has not been convicted of a crime, the state starts notifying that person's boss regularly um, that they are a harm causer. 
the, until they are fired yeah. so that they can never work. And this just happens with every job that they go to. Like, the boss gets a call from the government yeah. <laughs> being like, this person has actually been accused of causing harm. Yeah. Um, so you so, can't employ them. So you can't employ them, right? And if the, if the, uh, if their employer asks for any more information, then the government starts calling people and telling them to not go to the employer. Like, Right, exactly. And so this is for a person who is not being accused of, uh, not being convicted of a crime. But even if they were convicted of a crime, I think that this would be, um, you know, totally unacceptable to to people who are like abolitionists or who want the criminal justice system to be reformed to be more fair or who want rights for people like for criminals and like former criminal or formerly incarcerated people, right? Yeah. Um, I you know I think that people should people have the right to work. Yeah. Right. People. They just, need to work on capitalism. People have to fucking support themselves, yeah. right? And so, like that, I think that anyone who's interested in like labor rights in general and the rights of people to not die, to not die, um, would support people, people's rights to, to be able to work, right? Um, let's think of another one. So, I mean, it's kind of similar, but imagine the state started started sending notices to people who are known to associate with someone who's alleged to have been a huge jerk in a relationship, notifying them that they are to cease contact at once or face themselves being put on a list of people that no one is allowed to associate with. Yeah. Right? So, again, it's just like, if, if that was actually going on, that would be like a dystopian, like fascist, like authoritarian, totalitarian, terrifying turn of events. Right? Yes. It's basically like, you know, the, the, the worst excesses of like 20th century totalitarian governments. Yeah. But like on hyperdrive. Yeah. And about vague things like being toxic. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, or we talked before about um, a criminal record. Right. Right? Imagine if your criminal record was just the state compiling websites where anyone could send in anonymous, unvetted accusations and just add them to a list yeah. about publicly named individuals. Imagine all people, the government just had a website and each of us had a page on that website. And basically, there was like, a form where any person could just put anything on there that yeah. was never checked, like for verified if it was true or not. Yeah. And you could just write whatever you wanted. Yeah. And then And then the government was just like, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel strongly that most of us would feel that that's bad. Yeah. You know? Or, you know, think about this. What if the state threatened people with this kind of thing? What if the state was like, you don't get a trial, but if you don't go along with our accountability process, um, our correctional process, um, then we will do all this to you. Yeah. You know, I think that, you know, everyone would be like, that is fucking awful and terrifying. Right. Yeah. So moral of the story is like, if, if the criminal justice system did the shit that cancer culture does, everyone would be like, that's insane. And like way beyond the pain. And like a total abuse of power. And a total abuse of power. Yeah. So why is it okay when we do it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like it's really important to say that, like, you know, jail is bad. Cops, not great, you know? Um, and we're definitely not saying that, um, we're not saying that being canceled is the same as being incarcerated. Um, and we're not saying that, you know, going through a trial is, like, a good thing or anything like that. But I do really think that we need to look closely at the shit that we're doing um, in cancel culture and asking ourselves, like, you know, like Jay was just saying, like, if the state did this, would it, would it be okay? Mm-hmm. Why is it okay if we do it? Mm-hmm. Like, why, what gives us the authority to dominate and control our fellow human beings 
in this way. Yeah. Especially with no no system of any kind or any possibility of any kind for determining culpability in a situation. Yeah. And if we want to say that we've come up with a better system of justice than the one that currently exists, which honestly, I mean, like, please, like, I would love that, you know? Yeah. But like, if that's what we're going to argue that we've done, it should at least hold up to the standards of the existing system of justice. Yeah. And the, the things about it that are like, the, the least terrible things about the criminal justice system are the things that we have done away with in cancel culture. Yeah. Like, we have gotten rid of the rights of the accused. Yeah. Like, we've kept, like, the most insane parts. Yeah. And just, like, crowdsourced it. And it's interesting. Like, so, there are parts of the nexus, I think especially more, like, anarchist-leaning parts, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, like, obviously abolitionist-leaning parts that are, like, very critical, obviously, of the police and are very, would say a lot of the similar things that that we have said in this episode about, like, don't incriminate yourself, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, know your rights, like... um, No case, no case. Yeah, except don't ever... (laughs) There is a case. There is a case. (laughs) Okay. You can be convicted of a crime if your face is covered. Yeah, like, knuckle tats to say, like, cry baby, and you're like, no face, no case. Anyway, sorry, that was an aside. But, um... There's this whole, like, part of the nexus that really is, like, we should be protecting ourselves from punishment, you know? Like, we should be protecting ourselves from unjust punishment towards ourselves, and we should not be incriminating ourselves, and we should be sneaky, and we should be smart about what we say to who and all of this, right? Mm -hmm. And it's funny how this just completely goes out the window when we start talking about the types of accusations that happen in cancel culture, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it really does go back to the stuff that we were talking about in the beginning around dehumanization. Because it's like, once someone has done the bad kind of crime, not the cool kind of crime, Mm -hmm. you know, then fuck them. Right. You know? Right. Fuck them and whatever happens to them. And one of the most bizarre paradoxes in the Nexus is this part of the Nexus that is, like, supposedly abolitionist, that literally does, like, the Prisoner Correspondence Project and, like, um, is literally, like, encouraging us to, like, be pen pals with people who are in jail for literally, like, murder and, like, physical assault and, like, rape. Um, But then, on the other hand, believe that if someone is accused of harm, they should lose their job, never be able to have friends. Mm-hmm. They should be completely isolated from their community. And this accusation should follow them everywhere that they go. Yeah. Like, those two things are completely fucking contradictory and don't go together at all. Yep. And it doesn't make any sense. Nope. Um, so, I don't know. Try to wrap my head around it, you know? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think it's because they believe that everyone who's in jail is, like, they're, they're, they're all, like, I don't know, like, political prisoners, or they're only there because, like, cops are racist, or they're only there, like, because, you know, please don't like cool people or something, you know Yeah, what I mean? but it's such an obvious, like, even if that is the reason why, it's, like, it's so obviously not true that it's hard to believe that someone could think that. Yeah, I mean, they're, I don't know, not thinking very fucking hard. Or, like, I don't know, it's, it's, or they're just, like, really not at all abolitionists, you know, like that's, that's the more likely explanation, you know? I mean, recently we saw there was like some prisoner correspondence project that, uh, that had to like, they like made a statement saying they would no longer work with a particular prisoner because that prisoner had like refused to be accountable or something. Or like had caused harm. Kind of had like caused harm and then refused to be accountable about it. And it's just like, okay. I'm not right. sure what you think many <laughs> prisoners are in jail what for. Do you think, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
So basically, I guess to sum up in this episode, we don't like prisons. We don't like cops. We don't think that you should call the cops on people. However, we do believe that accused people should have rights, whether that is within the criminal justice system or outside of it. It is not okay to, um, I mean, I don't think it's okay to punish and dominate people in general, but if you're going to be doing things like that, it's kind of important to know whether or not you have any fucking idea what you're talking about and whether or not the person did the things that you were saying. You better be fucking sure. And that's the thing. Like, people are not sure. And, and like, I mean, once I just made a fucking Instagram post that just said, how do you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Because I got, I got so fucking mad mm-hmm. at seeing people repeat things with such authority online that I know that they're wrong. Like, yeah. I know that what they're saying is not true. Yeah. And they just say it with such authority. And I'm like, the consequences this has on the person's life is literally unimaginable to you. Like, you don't know what you're doing to this person. And you're just wielding this huge amount of power totally fucking irresponsibly. And, like, you are responsible for that. Like, you are responsible for your actions. And if you lie about people on the internet, you're responsible for the consequences that that creates. And, like, another thing that that I've made a post about as well is just that, like, repeating accusations that you have no idea where they come from, you have no idea if they're actually true, you don't know who said them originally, you have no background information, you don't know anyone involved, and you just repeat accusations like that, and 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 sort of like have this air about you that you're you're stating facts. Yeah. That's lying. Yeah. You're lying. Yeah, you don't know that that's true. And you're saying it like, like you, you do did. know. Yeah, exactly. That's lying. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, guys, cancel culture can have really insane consequences. Um, that being the case, the stakes are high enough to warrant a little bit of critical thought about it. And yeah. I think that that's what we're trying to do here. Um, And I hope that you do too. Yep. So thanks for listening to the episode and we'll see you next time. See you next time, guys.